Good morning everyone, uh, I'm Shane from the Te Awamutu Bible Chapel, one of the pastors here and it's really neat to have you with us today as we look at the series on Ephesians. We're going to jump right into our passage because we have quite a bit to get through in the next 20 minutes and as we go through there will be a phrase that I will explain that will be popping up regularly as we go through the message and I'll explain that in a few minutes. I want to start off with just the fact that you know when you start a job or you get into a uh, sports thing, you have to sign what is called a code of conduct. Now the code of conduct, conduct tells you what, you are, what is expected of you and how you are to act and how you are to, to behave in your place of work or when you are representing that company. It's used to judge your ethical uh, presence and it's used to, as a judgment point of are you obeying what we believe. You know, people have lost their jobs because they have disobeyed the code of ethics or code of uh, conduct. And when you're signing it, you're saying, I will follow this because I agree to what you believe in. Ephesians 4 can be looked at as our code of conduct as a Christian. It can be looked at as the way we should conduct ourselves as followers of the way, or as what we call them now, Christians. And to be honest, I'll be honest here on screen, we as Christians, over the many years since the first century, have often failed in following the code of conduct that Christ has given us. And today we're going to look at this code of conduct in a little bit, uh, in the time we've got. But the beauty of the God we believe in, and this is what I really want to stress as we, we go through this passage, the beauty of the God that we believe in is that he is always willing to forgive and he's always willing to give us another go. You know, he's not a God of second chances, he's a God of every chance. And I just encourage you as we go through here that we, that we if we've fought, fail, failed in the code of conduct, we will be ready to come before God and say, I'm sorry, and God will lift us up and help us to carry on. But he starts off here in Ephesians 4.1, he says, I therefore, a prisoner of the, for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called. In other words, he's giving us a code of conduct. But I want to be clear here, and, and this is something that is very different to every other religion in the world. I want us to realize that this code of conduct has, has nothing to do, the way you live has nothing to do with the way you're saved. But the way you're saved has everything to do with the way you live. What do I mean by this? But before I go on any further, I have a little challenge. If you've got children watching, or maybe you're an adult and you don't have a long in, uh, interest span, during the message, this phrase is going to pop up over and over again. And we've got a little challenge here. What we are asking you to do is count how many times it comes up. And uh, what we'd hope that would happen, by the end of the message, if anything else you haven't remembered, you'll remember this phrase. This phrase that says, the way you live has nothing to do with the way you're saved, but the way you're saved has everything to do with the way you live. So that's the second time. So just letting you know that it's been there. But what, so if you would like to you know, carry on and count them all up, Trent will come up later and he'll tell, you, tell us who's got it right in the chat. The chat will remain open as long as everything is going well, as long as everything is, uh, the messages are coming through are good. But if not, it will open up at the end of the, towards the end of the message where you will be able to write in how many times you think this phrase came up. 
So what do I mean when I say this phrase? The way you live has nothing to do with the way you're saved, but the way you're saved has everything to do with the way you live. It's related to this first word in Ephesians 4.1, therefore. When, what Paul is referring to here when he starts off Ephesians 4, therefore everything we've learnt over the last few uh, months from Ephesians, therefore everything that's been taught to us, everything that's gone on, all the doctrine that's been taught to us, therefore tells us that the doctrine of grace has brought us together and that's described in chapter 2, which was taken by one of the other speakers, where Paul spoke of being saved by grace, by the grace of God. There is nothing we can do to get the grace of God because Jesus Christ has already done it. It is a gift that comes from God. So no matter what you do, it will not save you. No matter what you do, how good you are, how righteous you are, no matter how many times you go to church, no matter how many times you give to charity, that will not bring us right with God. It is when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ. There is nothing we can do. There is no amount of good living that would be enough to pay for the penalty of our sin in our lives that would satisfy the requirements of God. That's why we say the way you live has nothing to do with the way you're saved, but the way you... Uh, you're saved has everything to do with the way you live that requirement was met only by the Lord Jesus and when we come to him and we are then transformed by Christ when we come into that new new life with him when we've accepted him as our Lord and Savior when we were repented and said I want to believe in you the Lord Lord Jesus and and he comes in he gives us the victory over death he gives us the victory in life he gives us the power to live he transforms our lives I love the verses in uh, Corinthians that says this death is swallowed up in victory oh death where is your victory oh death where is your sting the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul is saying is because of all the truth and doctrine that he's taught in chapters 1 to 3, he is saying now, now that you are saved, now that you have this victory, you are now able to live worthy of the manner we have been called. No matter what you, you, you think about your life, no matter what you think, how good you are, it is only through Jesus Christ that we can live. So in the second half of, of Ephesians, it's all about residing in grace or residing by grace. And the key word here is walk. We see that in chapter 4, verse 1, chapter 4, verse 17, chapter 5, verse 2, chapter eight, uh, 5, verse 8, chapter 5, verse 15. It's all basing our walk on the doctrines that Paul has taught us in chapters 1 to 3. Walk in the worthy of the manner, uh, work in the manner worthy of the calling we have received. You know, the Christian life is not based on ignorance, but on knowledge of what God has done. And the better we understand the biblical doctrines, of, the easier it is to walk according to the Bible. But I'm going to tell you, it's not easy walking in a worthy manner. And that is why we need the Holy Spirit. That's why we need Christ in our lives, because we cannot do it ourselves. It is by the strength of God. Many people study the Bible. Many people study the Bible. But if it's not transforming our lives, then we've misunderstood what God is teaching. 
You see, we learn the doctrines of chapters 1 to 3 in Ephesians so that we can walk in a manner worthy of our calling. There has to be a change in our lives. There has to be a renewal in our lives based on what we know. I often hear people say to me, uh, or say, don't talk to me about doctrine, or just let me live my Christian life how I want to. And you know, that, that, just, that comment just reveals a real lack of knowledge of what God wants in our lives. It's important what we believe, and this is what Paul is saying. It's important, therefore I urge you, therefore it is important to, that we live what we believe. It is important that what we believe, because what you believe determines your behavior. You know, often people think um, my beha- behavior determines my belief. No, behavior doesn't determine belief. Belief determines behavior. So he says, therefore, I urge you, I beseech you, I desire that you will live like this. This is Paul's whole focus. He wants us to really live for, the, for him in what we're doing. That translation, beseech, is like I'm begging you. Remember, back in the time of Paul, Ephesus was a city that was full of idols. It had the great goddess Artemis there. It was, it was full of sexual immorality. The temptations were there. Everything was there that could draw a person away from God that there was. So Paul comes in, he says, I urge you to live in a manner worthy of the calling you receive. He's urging us today, you know, look at our world today, the temptation that there is in around us, the temptation of disobeying God. Even by law, we can disobey God now. But Paul comes in because of all he's taught in chapters 1 to 3, saying, I'm urging you now. I'm urging you to live in a manner worthy of the calling that you've been called to. And he he asks us to, to live, or he urges us to live in three areas. Firstly, our personal life. Living in our personal life. You know, it's very easy to go home from work or go home from church or go home from where you've been with other people and actually live at home in a different state. You know, he asks us to be hum- hum- humble. And genuine humility comes from association with the Lord Jesus. Humility is one of those things that I often say is, when you say you've got it, you've lost it. Humility is one of those characters that when you say you've got it, you've lost it. Humility is a, is, is a behavior that is only transformed by the Lord Jesus Christ, where it's putting others better than yourself. It's, it's allowing people to have... Um, or encouraging people who have more potential, you know, admitting, I, look, I just want to shout out to the team I've got here. There's about uh, 10 of us here, and then a lot of that team is tech team and, and sound and cameras. You put me on that, and I'll guarantee everything will go wrong there. You see, but they're better than that. They're better than me in that area. So that, that's where they are. He also encourage, encourages us in, in verse, in, in chapter 4, to have the gentleness, the attitude that submits to God, the attitude that says, I'll allow God to deal with me without rebellion. We have a natural character of rebellion. We have a natural character in our hearts that wants to go against God, and that's why we have uh, so many beliefs and denominations, because we want to go what, against what God says. But he's saying that we should have, have this uh, gentleness and, and, and this compassion and this ability to live for God. He goes on to say, let us have patience. And, and that, that's just been saying, you know, um, in another word, long-suffering. I have this little illustration. You've got to remember, illustrations aren't the best way, thing to use, but they, they do give a point. And the illustration I like of patience is a big dog and a small dog. 
Now, the little dog, you know how little puppies carry on. They jump around, they bite the other dog, and, and the big dog just sits there. Now, that big dog knows that with one bite, he can eat up that little puppy. But he just sits there and allows him to carry on, playing and doing what he is. He's got the patience, and, and I've got to admit, that's one of those areas I've got to really work on, the patience area. And many of you at the, the Tiamudu Bible Chapel know that I've been overseas, living in a country that is full of traffic. That was a real lesson for me because I like getting, getting in the car, putting my foot down, going 100 k's, and uh, our top speed over there was 7 k's. So patience is something we have to learn. And then the next one is he says, he urges us to live a life of love. And I, you know, I'm not going to give a long explanation, but I just want to, want to share this with you. Love is making allowances for the faults and the failures of others. Making allowances for the differing personalities and abilities and the temperaments. We all are different. It's not, it's not saying I've got to be, you know, put a facade of, of, of courtesy on. It's saying I'm going to allow people to be different to me. And I'm going to accept them because they are different. It means being positive in love, no matter what people are saying. And, and think about it like this. If the whole church had that character, living in that manner worthy of that calling of love, what an amazing church it will be as we get on together and accept each other. The second area he talks about is our ministry. You know, uh, live a life worthy of the, of the calling that you've been called to in our ministry. And I've put everything up there straight away this time just so that we can get through it. So in our ministry, one of the big things he talks about is keeping unity. You know, in forming the church, God, God had eliminated, eliminated the greatest division in the world, Jew and Gentile. Now in Christ Jesus, everyone is equal in the church. It doesn't matter what race you've come from, doesn't matter what culture you've come from, doesn't matter what background you've come from. In God's kingdom, in God's church, all are accepted. And I, I know you can come up with all the history and say, well, the church did this and the church did that. And I, will, I admit to you, things have been done in the name of Christ that are really bad. But that wasn't how God performed or how God wanted the church to be. You know, I often think about it like this, and this is added into my notes, so I'm just keeping an eye on the clock. But think of it like this. When you have a novel and it's put into a film and you go to the film and you watch it and you say, well, that wasn't how the novel was written. Do you blame the novel or do you blame the people who directed or acted out the film? Of course you don't blame the novel. The novel was good. The book was good. But the actual film was displayed badly. And that's how I see the Word of God. We as Christians can display it badly, but it doesn't say the Bible is wrong or God is wrong. It's just that we have displayed it badly. And we need to realize that we need to, 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 to as in our ministry really work on portraying the unity of our church. You see, we're one body. And I'm going to just rip through these quickly. We're one body. We're one spirit. We're one hope. We're one Lord. We're one faith. This is the Christian faith. I'll make that clear. Um, when, when, when Paul talks about this one faith, he's talking about those who follow the Lord Jesus Christ alone, for he is the way, the truth, and the life. There is one baptism, and there is one God, the God of creation, Yahweh, who is above all, through all, and in you all. When you come into the Lord Jesus Christ, when you have accepted him, we become part of that 
kingdom. And all that is through the grace of Jesus Christ. All that is through the grace of him going to the cross. All that is because God has said, I want you to be part of my relationship. I want you to be part of my household. I want you to be part of my kingdom. So he sent his son. And, that, and you see that in verses 7 to 10, where, to 10, where Paul goes through again the, the whole idea of Christ coming, uh, coming down, leaving everything behind to die on a cross for us. Die on a cross for you. Die on a cross to pay for the sin that separates us from God. That's chapters 1 to 3 in a summary in verses 7 to 10. But then he goes on about our gifts. And I know... This, these verses are often used to give a list of gifts that God has given. I'm not going to say that's wrong, but what I am going to tell you is that's not the context of this passage. The context of this passage is keep walking in a manner that you have been called to. So all these gifts that he talks about are there for a purpose. They're there to build unity of faith. They're there for the knowledge of Christ to grow in our lives. They're there for us to grow in maturity. They're there for us to become solid in our beliefs. And whatever your gift is, whatever the gift you have, it is to be used in the local church to build up one another. Now, he names apostles and prophets and, and uh, teachers and evangelists. Yeah, that's great, but they're not the only things. And I encourage you, if you're a part of this church in Te Awamutu or if you're in a part of a church local elsewhere, I'd encourage you to seek out what your gift is. Look at, you know, if you could see what I could see, these guys with their gifts of, on the cameras and on the tech, they're using their gifts to build the church so that you can hear the message of the word and watch it, have a service today. And then Paul finishes with this, the walking worthy of our calling in our testimony as a church. Our testimony as a church. He talks about the church as a body and he tells us that we should be speaking the truth in love. We should be growing in every way. There is, should be no Christian who hasn't stopped growing. There should be no Christian who says, I've reached it. We will not reach it until we be there with the Lord, of Jesus, with the Lord Jesus. Then he talks about the church working together. And you saw that video of the pyramid. That's the church working together. And we work together. And we work together for the growth and the building up of one another. We work together for the, the, for the message of Jesus Christ to go out into our communities. We work together. So that the love of God, the true love of God, may reach one another. And that's what he finishes with, building our love. And I know we've all got to work on that. We work on it in our marriages, we work on it in our families, but we've got to work on it in our churches as well. And that is only based around Jesus Christ. Come to the Lord Jesus. Remember, the way you live has nothing to do with the way you are saved, but the way you are saved has everything to do with the way you live. You cannot say you are saved and then carry on living a life of sin or a life of immorality or a life of, of, of pride or arrogance or, or malice or slander or gossip. gossip. The way you live has nothing to do with the way you're saved, but the way you saved has everything to do with the way you live. Paul urges us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have received, which I have received, but what, does, what effect does that have on us today? How are we living our lives today in humility and in gentleness and in patience and love? How are we doing in that, in the, in the places we live and we work? Do people see and know that you are different? 
because you're living your life in that manner that is worthy of the calling that you have been called to. You know, it's easy to live a life worthy of our calling when we're with other Christians. You know, when we gather together and meet together, it's so great to be able to live our lives worthy, isn't it? But how are we doing in our private lives when nobody sees us? Are we still living according to that uh, calling that we have received? What about where in our workplaces where non-Christians see us? What about our businesses where the government sees us? What about our family where our children and siblings and parents see us? And finally, what about our church? How are we living in this context of chapter 4, verse 1? living in a manner worthy of the calling I've received. But lastly, what are you doing with our gift or your gift in your local church? You need, maybe you need to find out what that gift is. Maybe you need to find out what does God have for me in this church in Te Awamutu Bible Chapel. Can I encourage you to make an appointment to see Brad or myself and so we can sit down and talk and just find out where can you be used in the chapel? Don't be one who sits back and just sits in the pews and says, I just love the fellowship. That's not what the church is all about. That's not what Paul is saying when we reside by grace. He's not saying that. He's saying live a manner, in a manner worthy of the calling you have been called to. You have been called to do something. What are you going to do? Remember, the way you live has nothing to do with the way you are saved, but the way you are saved has everything to do with the way you live. Let's pray. Father, we come before you, Lord, and and we look at our lives and we can say, yes, I have failed in the areas of living a life worthy of the calling that I've been called to. But Lord, I praise you that you are so forgiving and you're so ready to pick us up again, so ready to give us another chance so ready to help us to live a life worthy of the calling that you have called us to. And Lord, I pray that as we listen to your word, we may be encouraged to be those who live according to your word, the Bible, with the help of the Lord Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for that, Shane. I was taking a look at the live stream chat and I didn't see any numbers coming.